to No Challenges Remaining. I'm Ben Rothenberg here in D.C. Uh, we have not done a lot of shows recently on NCR. I've been working on finishing up my uh, book manuscript. I've spent a lot of work and a lot of time. We've missed some big stories that have happened in the past couple of months. Uh, Roger Federer, who our listeners may have be familiar with, uh, announced his retirement from tennis, played his last match at the Laver Cup. Uh, and then the more shocking news in that was uh, Simona Halep, the former number one, testing positive for a banned substance and provisionally banned. I'll talk about there, and we will get to those stories later on. But the occasion for this episode, I mean, coming out of hiatus for a bit, is that my buddy Ricky Diamond, NCR's uh, Atlanta correspondent, is here, uh, having just run the Marine Corps Marathon for the fourth time. Fifth. Fifth time up yep. in D.C. Ricky, congratulations. And you got your best time, and you finally beat the elusive time of uh, Caroline Wozniacki. Yes. Yeah, my goal was first to beat my previous best, which was three hours and 29 minutes, and ideally to also beat Wozniacki, which was three hours and 26 minutes. And I did run three hours and 25 minutes yesterday, so. It's a tough mark. Uh, it took her a bunch of tries to be what was the act. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, it took a while. And also the fact that she did it while uh, also in, in the middle of a professional tennis season is uh, quite impressive. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I was pretty happy with my time. Definitely. No, her time was, was pretty remarkable. It was like a Boston qualifying time. It's like yeah. a sort of part-time, obviously still an elite athlete, so good base and like known for being fast, but still. Marathons are a different beast, so congratulations on conquering those beasts. Yeah, uh, As listeners, long-time listeners will remember, we've done a bunch of shows during your sort of annual trips uh, to D.C., and this is the first one a couple years because of the pandemic, and there hadn't been a marathon for a few years. Sort of near the end of the men's season, looking back at the men's tennis season that was. And we're just going to kind of – we're – the field for the tour finals, which are in Turin. I keep wanting to say London. It's been, they were in London yeah. for so long, I have to catch myself every time. But for Turin, uh, it's mostly set. Um, basically, unless there's like a dream run in Bercy to the title by Fritz or her catch, and one of them sneaks in, uh, we know who it's going to be, basically. And so we want to just talk about the season and go through those guys. But I guess if there's anything bigger picture before we get into the, and obviously a lot of the stories do connect to those guys who are in the in the field in turn. But any other sort of big picture stories of what you're going to, what you think 2022 should be remembered for in, uh, in men's tennis? Well, I think obviously Djokovic, I mean, not being able to play Australia, not being able to play the U.S. Open, and then not getting 2,000 points from winning Wimbledon. Like, I mean, he was the biggest story at three of the slams, yeah. even though two of them he didn't play. Um, so, I mean, I think obviously Nadal won two slams in 2022, but uh, I don't know. I feel like, you know, probably... J- what happened with Djokovic will probably be most remembered about this year. That's the thing. Yeah. And I'm glad you said it that way because I, you know, people give me crap for like talking about Djokovic too much on Twitter or whatever. And like, maybe I don't think that I do because he's been, he's the most relevant guy. And like his, unfortunately his vaccination status has been a defining storyline and defining factor for Ben tennis in 2022 is that's it. And, you know, we'll get to him because he's one of the seven players who is currently uh, in the field. We can actually start with him. Maybe that's the easiest thing to do. We're talking about yeah. him already. Djokovic, I'm pretty convinced because um, I still think he is just the best player in terms of just if you put up the ball in a, in a tournament, on a, especially on a hard court, or even a clay court, honestly, a lot of times, like or grass for that matter. I think he's usually the best. And yeah, I think that if he had gotten vaccinated and had it be a non-issue, he almost certainly would be currently in my mind the the total uh the all-time slam leader i think he'd be ahead of rafa um it could have even won the french open for all i know because i mean his even though he won rome his clay season was still screwy he still had a, a pretty stop and start clay season and that match against rafa was just weird in paris i mean i think the u.s open and, and novak's a little more complicated because he actually really hasn't won that many times he's only won three u.s opens in his career which is well behind his his strike rate at Wimbledon and, and Australia. So not taking for granted, he definitely wouldn't have won the U.S. Open, which I saw a lot of people saying he might. Um, but yeah, but he also could have won another Cincinnati. You know, he could have won a Canada, right. Indian Wells, Miami. He lost, he missed a lot of tournaments this year. And because I do think he's still the best player, yeah, I think you have to kind of start with this storyline that I wish wasn't as relevant as it is. Um, but it just really, it really is. And I don't think you can ignore it. At the very least, he would be, you have to figure he would be tied because... Australia was basically a two-slam swing because yeah. Nadal won it. And if Djokovic had played, he was would have been the odds-on favorite. So, like, right there, that's 21-21. And then he would have had a decent chance at the U.S. Open. So Yeah, and Wimbledon, too. I mean, he, so he got the 21 at Wimbledon. So he could have been, if he won Australia and Wimbledon, he'd be right, right. too. Yeah, okay. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. So he would be up 22-21 if he yeah. won Australia. And, right. Yeah. I mean, it's just that's what it is. And do you think that we still don't totally know what Djokovic's status will be for 2023, uh, which, again, it's annoying. The this, this storyline continues. Right. So Djokovic can apply for reinstatement uh, for from his Australian deportation. There's a new government there. Uh, we'll see if they want to keep it being an issue or not. The, Australia has removed its requirement for travelers to be vaccinated uh, to enter the country. Uh, that happened a couple months ago. They, but Djokovic does have this three-year deportation, uh, three-year ban from the country from his deportation order. He can reapply. I kind of think if he reapplies, I think he will reapply. I think he'll get in. Uh, but it's not a given. Who knows how much sort of ill will there is still towards him and the reasons for which why he was uh, booted ultimately, which people which changed ultimately around sort of like public health grounds that he was sort of um, a negative influence on society for spreading and promoting um, anti-vax uh, notions was the was the justification of the government in the end. So that really hasn't probably changed his status that on that front. I don't know. So it's, uh, yeah, it, it again, I'm annoyed by this story. That's such a big story, but it is the story of the year in my sense. I think, you got, I think if you're starting to explain the year in my sense, you have to start with that. Yeah. Yeah. On Djokovic also, Djokovic is the first player in a while um, to be on pace to qualify for the um, year in championships. And this would not happen if he, uh, I think, wins Bear City. I think he'd get in direct. Mm-hmm. But he's the f- first player in a long time to qualify on the basis of this rule that the ATP has, where you if you finish outside the top eight, you can still get into the year in championships if you want to slam that year. Or for the top, or if one player can do that. Um, Djokovic won Wimbledon, obviously. What do you think that rule in principle I mean, we haven't seen it applied a lot. It happens in doubles, I think, more often that someone yeah. gets in for doubles, and the doubles make sense because pairs don't always stick together for the whole season. Maybe win a slam. Um, what, yeah, what do you think of uh, of the rules of concept? WTA does not have this rule. I will say, I like it just because like slams are like just the end all be all. Like yeah. in tennis, I mean, that's what you judge everything by. It's like the main part of the goat race, and like if you win a slam. I feel like you deserve to be at the at the Euro Championship, even if you don't finish, you know, in the top eight. And also, you would be taking the spot of like someone who finishes eighth. Like you wouldn't be taking the spot of someone who finishes first. So like in this case, sure. like Djokovic would be knocking out, you know, like Rublev or somebody like that. Yeah. Like, which is an upgrade. Like, yeah. Absolutely. So yeah. Like. I mean, I, I can see both ways, but I, I think it's a good rule. I, I just think anything that places more importance on slams, you know, it's hard to argue with. We'd be knocking out, not Rublev, but we'd knocking out... Um... He'd be knocking out Felix. No, Felix. Or no, he would be knocking out whoever qualified. Uh, Fritz and... Uh... Wait. Oh, Fritz or her catch. Fritz. I think basically Fritz. Yeah. Right. Depending Fritz, on Fritz how, would be eight, yeah. Depending on how Paris turns out. Yeah, it would be Fritz or her catch, yeah. Fritz has had a great year. I will say though, on the fr- if if the way the results do shake out and it winds up being Rublev who misses, uh, which the, would be unlikely, that's a weird one because yeah, weird then one. Rublev will miss out because someone else won a tournament in being Wimbledon, which he was not actually able to compete in. Right. Not that Rublev we think would have won Wimbledon, but just on paper that seems deeply unfair. <laughs> yeah. That and it's weird and it's a weird thing actually that. ATP chose to, I understand it, but ATP revoked ranking points from Wimbledon, but still chose to keep the part where Wimbledon can get you a sort of automatic bid into the right, yeah, championships. Yeah. That's an unusual, that's a, it's a weird wrinkle. And I do think if Djokovic um, didn't have that, he would probably schedule a little differently and like played a five, played Basel or right. Vienna and would have gotten in possibly anyway. So yeah. you can't totally um, say he wouldn't get into the finals without that rule. But uh, yeah, that's a, um, that's a weird one. Like if that if that does be the case, I, if I was uh, Rublev, I'd be upset yeah, and sure. generally generally sad. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, that, that makes that's un, un, hopefully hopefully that won't be the case. <laughs> but I think it's a good rule, and I think that also no. like we're looking at we were just watching the first day we're recording this on Monday night. We were watching the first night of the uh, Fort Worth tournament, the Women's Year End Championships, and like Rabakina, who won Wimbledon's Wimbledon, is not in that field. And she, I think, did finish within the top 20 of the race. Not by much. I think I think she got in the top 20. Uh, close, anyway. But I think it would be nice having her in the field. Like, it's just because she's the main storyline of the field. And the women's tournament's in this really unusual situation in the women's, you know, field where there's only one even any time Grand Slam champ in the field, and that's Iga Shiantek, who won two of them this year. 
and then one in the 2020 French Open. Um, but the, this year's Australian Open champ obviously retired after that tournament, Nash Barty. Rabat kind of didn't get any points. He didn't get into the field. Um, yeah, I think having slam who chips would, in who, there. Who qualified eighth in the women? Sakari. Are actually what I should not have been sure of that because she definitely got the, she got the last spot, but I'm not sure if she, she moved up. Yeah. yeah, I'm not 100 sure. I said no, I don't think she's actually the eighth seed now. Rebecca, it was Kasakina. Kasakina was number uh, eight. I mean, she had a good year, but I would still like take a slam champion yeah. over over anything. Kasakina yeah, did. I think and it's interesting. It's like on both kind of tours, like there's gonna be some players who had non amazing years. Like Sabalenka, we just watched win. This first match, like, I don't think Sabalenka had an amazing year, but she got in because just the points were sort of distributed, you know, unusually. And it's a credit to Sabalenka that she can have this subpar of a year by her standards and still be a top eight player. Right. She should take some confidence from that. Uh, and there's definitely positive ways to see it. And she got a good win in this first match against Shabur. Um But There's a lot of uh, ATP tour, too. I mean, like, no, exactly. Of, like, I would, like Rublev and Medvedev and Felix, right. except for before this last while. Right, also. They but, were not playing, they were not having great years because... On the men's, I think she's been kind of really spread out, and Djokovic has been the missing piece, and Rafa winning a couple, a few big titles, but then not doing much else. Yeah, and um, Zverev getting hurt. And Zverev going out. Um, and then on the women's side, obviously, a Barty going out, and then Shantek just hogging everything to herself and, and really taking all the points that way and having this huge lead. Yeah. Um, in different ways, they're they're kind of similar. But yeah, it's been a weird year where, like, I just don't think that many players have had, like, great years. Right. If you, as long as you were decent, you could you could get into the Grand Championship. Yeah, like even like plan for this episode is to go through just more of the guys who are qualifying. Like this is not in order, but one person I'm thinking of now we haven't mentioned his name yet is Stefano Tsitsipas, yeah. who is number three in the live rankings currently. And I just like don't think it's had that good of a year. No, yeah, for like sure. he he by his standards, like he didn't make it back to a Slam final. He made one last year. He won one Masters event, which was Monte Carlo. He did really poorly at the slams outside of his semifinal in Australia. Um, what did he do in France? He um, the French Open, Stefanos. Oh, he, lo- he lost oh, to Runa in yeah. the fourth round. And um, he almost lost to... Uh... Oh, 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 the, the logo, <laughs> a collage. Yeah, yeah. Zenic, Zenic the logo collage. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, I, you know, like, I, I just... There's a lot of players who'd be disappointed in their year. It's, it's just a weird... So you have that same vibe? Oh, like, yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, Sissy Pass would be the first to admit that he'd be disappointed in his year. Yeah. Especially because it was, the door was so wide open. Like, yeah. Djokovic, you know, missing two slams. I mean, looking over, I mean, Casper Root making two slam finals to no. show that the door was open. And, you know, Sissy Pass certainly didn't capitalize on it. So, no. And that's right. He had an elbow issue, but also he kept playing through it. So I'm not totally sure. And then that U.S. Open match he had was just bizarre. Yeah, yeah. They, the loss to uh, Daniel Alahi Galan, like going down love and one. It was one of those like people. Were, it was during Serena's match. Serena was playing her first match um, against Danka Kovinich. And people, everyone watches Serena. And people were like, uh, look at the Sitsipas score. And he was down like <laughs> six love or like five love. And like what? Like three breaks. Like yeah. what is happening over there? Um, How many first round exits from the U.S. Open has Sitsipas had recently? Or was that was that second round or first? That was first. Yeah, because yeah. he lost first round to Rublev once. That right. was a tough yeah, draw. It was a bad draw. He lost to Felix once first round. Is that right? Or that was Indian Wells? Maybe I'm getting confused. But yeah, he's. Um, but yeah, you no. Know, and, and then he lost to Alcaraz third round last year. Yeah, which was at the time was a big upset. That aged well though. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, Sitsipas is, and this goes for you know you can put Zverev in this category if you want to. You can put Rublev in this category if you want to. Berrettini's had an up and down year, uh, and certainly had he had some bad luck. He got COVID right before Wimbledon, where he was yeah. had just won back to back grass court titles. That was brutal for him. He wouldn't have gotten ranking points from Wimbledon, but still could have like won the tournament. I think very yeah. plausibly. Um, uh, he's had he's had some some rough patches. He seems like he's in kind of rough shape here. He pulled out of Bear C yeah. to end his season. Um, you know, time is kind of ticking for for that generation of of guys. And you could even even though he's had a really good year, you could kind of throw Casper in there a little bit, like. Um, you know, like will the odds are that some of those names we talked about, and he ha- I mean, even for sake of argument, for what I'm about to say, like you can throw Felix in there, you could throw Fritz in there, whoever else. Like these are all people who've been talked about for like years as being like they could win a slam kind of guys, but like at the same time, like TikTok, like yeah, the door is closing for some of them, and you see players who sort of miss their window, like your Dimitrov, who I think at this point the window is probably closer to Dimitrov, unfortunately. Um, you just never know. Like nothing, nothing is a given, right? In but sport. at the same time, like obviously, one of the big three is already gone, and the next two are going to be gone pretty soon. So, like, 
that unless like Alcaraz starts dominating the slams pretty soon could be open to a lot of people for a pretty long time. But let's talk about Casper Ruud. We mentioned him briefly in there. Casper Ruud making the two slam finals would not have guessed that before the year, especially one of the biggest surprises of the year. Actually, I think is that we had this really surprising Miami final Alcaraz Ruud and that wound up being repeated at the U.S. Open okay. final. I feel like Crazy. that's kind of like an un- under uh, underreported stat that that was the same final of those two tournaments. Right. Um, yeah, Alcaraz, uh, sorry, Rude, um, you know, had a reputation for being a vulture uh, who, you know, skipped the Olympics to go win three back-to-back-to-back uh, clay 250s uh, when everyone else was at the Olympics. Um, you know, I think we've seen it being like a sort of hard worker and sort of arrow but not having the biggest upside really for his game and then to get into two slam finals and he had chances to win that u.s open final it was you know in that match very much so right um and got to number two is one match away from being number one in the world like that that was like honestly like would have been a huge shock if you told you know at the beginning of the year that casper would be number one in the rankings um but he at the same time is say that was sort of like shock but like he i think he won a lot of respect and admirers and fans and he's very likable player and very likable person. Um, and I know Courtney's a big fan of his. And uh, yeah, what do you make of Casper and his year? And also like how, if at all, this sets him up for um, the future. He still hasn't won a 500 or, two, or a 1,000, right? No, he's no, just he's won never, 250s. Yeah. yeah, just 250s. Yeah, so he but two slam finals also. Right, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think the most impressive thing about Root is just the way like he reinvented himself on hard courts. Because before this year, he was thought of as a clay court specialist like and for good reason probably yeah and then like i remember in indian wells he played nick you know who he has bad blood with and nick wiped him off the court yeah and like you're thinking yeah like put this guy off of clay and like you know he's gonna lose to the top guys and yeah. then like right after that all he does is go on and makes the final of miami and then the final of the u.s open so yeah i mean the Getting to the French Open final was obviously impressive, but it wasn't like a big surprise, especially yeah. considering they had a favorable draw. Really good draw. Right? Yeah. I mean, but, I will say, though, actually, he beat, um, when he beat Chilich in that semifinal, Chilich was in really good shape. Oh, yeah, yeah. Chilich, I, I, I was, I, I was yeah. treating that tournament. Yeah, I got swindled into picking Chilich in that in that <laughs> match. Um, but no. I so mean, I'm just saying that was a good win. That was a good yeah, win it was, time. It was yeah. a good win, yeah. yeah. But, like, what he did, I mean, really, what he did at Miami, I think is more surprising than that. And then, obviously, you know, getting to the U.S. Open Finals. Uh, he got a good draw there, too. But, like, if you get to the U.S. Open Final, like, on a hard court, like, you're doing something right. Look, I mean, like, the bar is, with this in the big three not being around, you know, for their various reasons, the bar is going to get lower for what it sort of takes to make a slam final a lot of right. these times. And Rue just being steady and solid and hanging in there and beating, you know, Berrettini on an off day and, and hatching off in the semis he could have played nick in that semifinal that would have been an interest that would have been i think people would have picked nick in that match but uh yeah like casper just being solid like solid can be absolutely enough yeah. in this era right now um and he you know and he's had some swoons after his couple runs like he did not have a good start to the clay court season after his miami final he did not have a good start to this indoor season after his final at us open so we'll see what he does in uh in turn i think expectations should be probably low for him but um you know, my, my sort of take with Rude, because I do think he's exceeding expectations so much, and I'm sure this is not how his coaches would ever tell him to think. But I'm going to say, you know, like, if this is as good as it gets for Casper Rude, like, good for you. Like, yeah. making two slam finals and number two in the world is, like, already so far beyond, I think, anybody's career expectations for Casper Rude that, like, if he doesn't do anything better than that, like, whatever. Like, already good. Like, I think he's, I think he hopefully, from the outside, from pundit perspective, I think he's playing with house money the rest of his career. And... But he'll say he's so close, he, can, he should be able to get there. And, you know, French Open, if if Rafa is not able to post up and be at his best uh, in the future, next year or year after that or whatever it may be, Casper's absolutely should be someone shortlisted to be in the mix there. On that note, I know we love our over-under games. Yes. Would, you, <laughs> would you take over-under 0.5 slams won by Casper Rude in his career? Ah, it's tough. I, you know... I think I would take under, but but I I do I do think the French Open is there for him and like but also I just don't know who else is gonna be there for. I mean we don't know like if teams gonna mount to come back right. and yeah it's yeah. been nice seeing him get back online. He's someone who's been out of the mix and had a really rough resumption. It would be great to see him uh, see him get uh, get going again. That would be cool. 
No, I would, I would take it's under, a pass. I would take under zero point five, yeah. but not like not like strongly. No, I, I, you know, I think there's other players who are in the and Alcaraz on clay obviously can be in the mix too, and uh, Nadal's still got a couple more in him. Djokovic is still in the mix, I think, for next year's French Open. Certainly, we'll do yeah. predictions for next year Sitzi. at the end. Yeah, Sitsi, yeah. uh, Holger, yeah. I think, is in the mix now too. He's had a good year. He's someone who's had a good year actually. Yeah, um, definitely. Um, yeah, there's there's some players in the in the mix there. Musetti's getting better. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens there. Um, mentioned Alcaraz. I'm doing this completely out of order, but let's talk about him next. Uh, Carlos Alcaraz is the number one. Uh, like Casper Ruiz, it's not the best result since the U.S. Open. Um, but again, like he, his year was already so ahead of schedule. Right. He was ranked what, like in the, somewhere in the 20s going into this season, and he's now number one. Uh, we kind of saw it coming pretty quickly, though. I mean, once he went on his tear, winning. Actually, it was interesting looking back at his results. I think I said this on our US Open draw show or one of the shows with Tumani. His year was actually not that much worse in some respects than Sviantek's. Sviantek obviously had like even more winning, mm-hmm. but Alcaraz was winning a ton too. And like very consistently going deep in tournaments and winning a lot in a row. Um, and just had one loss in it all in Indian Wells, but otherwise was was really consistent. Um, his ability to get to number one this fast was was incredible. There were some openings again, like if Djokovic, you know, goes and wins 2,000 points, a couple different tournaments, uh, Alcaraz probably doesn't get to number one, and the what the rankings total was to get to number one was pretty low, um, but I, yeah, I mean, how can you not be impressed with Alcaraz and, and his just sort of energy and uh, attitude and effort events, it seems like it's all really positive, and hopefully, you know, I'm not saying, people were asking after he won the assistant, like, will he catch, you know, Federer and Alan Djokovic and win 20 slams. It's like, uh, I'm going to take a hard under on 20 for just because that's logical. But yeah. you have to like what he's set up to do in the in the short to medium term. Yeah, yeah. I mean, ever since he was like 15, like he was tipped as a future number one. But like the fact that he's done it this fast is just, is just crazy. But I mean, he's got all the tools and it's amazing that as a teenager, he already has like the physical, like, qualities that you saw at the u.s open just playing ridiculous match after ridiculous match and like not having any like physical problems mm-hmm. um so I, he's the total package like i would also give a lot of credit to ferrero like yeah he's got a great team around him like there's absolutely no reason why you know he can't be one of the all-time greats i mean obviously right now it's tough to project like you can't say he's gonna win more than 20 but like there's no reason why he like can't be one of the best yeah no, i agree with that and and he you know, is in we'll see how he matches up with his his generation. I mean, like his rivals are going to sort of be, you know, the Rudes, the Runas, the Sitsipasas, uh who he owns. Yeah, he owns Sitsipas, <laughs> and but other and Felix, you know, who he yeah. got beaten pretty badly by twice. Basel. David, yeah. yeah, and he also lost and David's Davis Cup. Cup. Yeah, yeah, so that's gonna be interesting to see how those rivalries develop, and it's gonna be a reset period. We're seeing that, you know, again with the women, certainly where you know Serena left, Barty left, Osaka had, did not have a good year. Um, and there's, you know, people sort of resetting at the top and we're having to, and even actually, honestly, the carryover from last year's, uh, top eight is very little into this year. So it's mm-hmm. almost a total like reset, uh, in the top eight of the rankings. So it, it's a, it's a time where two men will get this kind of traction and we'll see how they, how they work, but yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. Um, I know he's not in our conversation for top eight, but Holger, um, is he, he amuses me. Um, <laughs> uh, he's got a lot of, uh, uh, personality, let's say. And I, I just, yeah, shout out to Holger and his yeah. use of emojis. He's one of my dad's favorites. Like, we, we saw him from the front row of the French Open a couple of times. My dad is totally on that bandwagon. I mean, he's a fun player to watch. He's yeah. like, he's very creative. He hit some crazy uh, points. I remember I was dropping off at the um, the Metro. We were going somewhere downtown. And we were checking the live scores. Oh, yeah, against and, RBA. And RBA was up yeah. 6-2 in the second set tiebreak. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. oh, it's going three. And then you texted me later. It's like rude and i was like what happened and yeah he won the tiebreak from two six down he's, he's a good fighter yeah. i think he has good upside he's a patch of mortaglu now he's been playing well under him uh mortaglu yeah switching to holger after after simona house positive test yeah that's gonna be we'll see again we'll do some we'll talk about some more at a later date but that's uh definitely an interesting uh development to watch for for holger yeah. um other players in this atp top uh field for a term we've not talked about yet rafael nadal rafael nadal is number two in the rankings currently uh was number Surprising he didn't get to number one this year, actually. I mean, he had a lot of chances to get to number one, um, but just no ranking points. Wimbledon obviously hurt him because uh, he made he made semis there. Uh, lost early-ish at the U.S. Open to, yeah. to Francis Tiafo, who's had a good year also. We haven't mentioned Tiafo, but Tiafo's had a strong year. Um, 
Uh, Rafa's year started so much better than anyone could have imagined, winning two slams. I mean, again, the French Open, not everyone could imagine, but the Australian Open, only a second ever title there, the way it happened, and then backing it up with the Indian Wells final. They got hurt during, and then some other off-and-on injuries. Um, you're obviously you know, close and all follower. Like, what did you make of his season, and how do you think it sets him up for 2023? Like, what are expectations for Rafa for 2023? I feel like that's a tougher question. Right. I mean... In terms of 2022, like, I think you have to give up an A-plus. I mean, in a year, anyone wins a slam, even if you're an all-time great. Like, it's a good year. If yeah. you win two slams, like, it's, it's awesome, like, no matter what else happens. Yeah. Um, so, and plus, like, the fact that he won in Australia, like, completes the double career Grand Slam. Like, that's a huge one. Um, like, I mean, anything else is just a bonus. And he won the French and, you know whatever happens after that like it's just a bonus like yeah i guess i realized he didn't win a single not this is not disparaging him he didn't win a master's title which is unusual yeah what is the master's count now is he is he losing by a few to Djokovic or it keeps going back and forth i honestly can't keep track of who's ahead yeah and i don't think that matters a whole lot but no i mean he's i thought he was going to shut down the season like after he lost to tf at the u.s open he's done that before so i'm surprised that he's playing uh bercy and uh turin but Two, two tournaments he's never won. And yeah, I, yeah, like the, those are like for the you know, obvious people who know like I'm a big fan of the the Jokimon, which is Novak Djokovic's uh having won them all Novak Djokovic is a generation two Jokimon, double he's won them all twice at least twice. He's pretty close to three, um, potentially. Uh, he had to win the French Open and uh Cincinnati and maybe Monte Carlo again, I think, to get to get the triple. Off the top of my head, that might not be exactly right. But yeah, I Nadal, you know, the not having ever won the year in championships is a is the biggest hole in his resume right. for sure. Yeah, I don't think Paris is like that big of a deal, but year in championship. He's never even made final in Paris, has he? No, think. he never has. Yeah. Interestingly though, he's never he's never lost before the quarters. Huh. I was looking at his stats today. He's never lost before the quarters, and he's never won it, and he hasn't made the final since his first appearance in two thousand seven. So mm. like he's been every appearance since two thousand seven has been either quarters or semis. Mm. So he never loses early, but he never wins it. Yeah. I mean, there's no reason why, like, he, what, Nadal's, I guess Nadal's game, obviously, we, people just think and kind of know it's not built for indoors, really. But, like, at the same time, he's so good. And it wasn't built for grass either. And he managed to get over the hump. But maybe it's just, it's not the focus for him. Or why do you think Nadal has had such, I do think it is, like, well, I do think it is, like, a meaningful, you know, to the extent people care. Like, I do think it's actually, like, a meaningful knock against him in the GOAT debate. He's year in championship. Year in championships and just being bad indoors. Yeah. Well, for, I mean, first of all, it's a terrible time of year like nadal is usually like done physically this time of year yeah that could be a big part of it too um but is everyone is everyone like rotterdam or anything i don't know nothing i know yeah like, no, i mean, never, I mean never, that never played the memphis 500 yeah sadly. like that time of year he's like getting ready for clay and then like this time of year like he's just like his body's breaking down mm. but obviously now he should be well rested because he hasn't played since he lost a tfo at the u.s open so like you know I think in Nadal's case, being rested is more important than like having momentum. So like, if he's ever going to win in Paris or year-end championship, like it could be this year. I wouldn't like I wouldn't bet on him because he's not great indoors and he's rusty. But like, and he's a real path to get back to number one this year. I mean, if he he's only currently in the race about eight hundred points behind uh, Alcaraz, which is significant but not nothing. Or sorry, not but not insurmountable with a thousand and a and a year-end championship still on the board. Right, I mean, so you're in a championship. You get 200 every every match win and 1500 for a title. Yeah, so like it's, it's well, definitely well within reach. But you have to. Plus, I think Alcaraz is understandably wearing down the stretch. He's yeah. wearing out down the stretch a bit. So yeah, I kind of would. I, w- I would have low expectations for Alcaraz actually, in especially in Turin. Like, oh, he hasn't yeah. played that kind of tournament. Only well, played next gen, which is kind of a similar format actually. But I mean, I think I think mentally he's just based on recent results. He's wearing out a bit, which is totally understandable. I mean got to number one in the world one yeah. u.s open those are huge milestones like yeah. for especially for a teenager like it's understandable if there's some mental wear and tear a couple players we haven't talked about yet let's go to the other person in the nadal stable tony Nadal's other player felix oj aliasim who is all but qualified for for turn he would have to have like a crazy scenario like literally i think it would have to be for taylor fritz winning the tournament and beating Rublev in the, in the semis. semis. It has to, both both those things have to happen. So Felix is essentially in, but not technically yet. Um, hypothetically, yes, technically no. He has had a really streaky year. Like he started really good. That match in Australia against Medvedev was outstanding. I was in the stadium for that. That was great. Um, 
and he didn't really let it break him immediately, that defeat, you know, because he, he bounced back and won Rotterdam his first ever title and then won another title, right, or made another final or something. And uh, he had a rough stretch, you know, in the middle part of the year, taking some some bad L's, some tough draws. I mean, like losing to Crest State Wimbledon, I think, is understandable. Yeah, it's a bad draw. It's yeah. a bad draw. But um, we talked about he lost to U.S. Open to... Oh, he got killed by Draper, 4-4-4. Four, four, four. Yeah, like <laughs> getting beaten that badly by Draper is not great. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so... It, it, but then he's surging again. Felix, I still, when I watch Felix, I still think he's missing some sort of edge on some level. Like, I feel like he has, there's just some slight missing piece. I can't tell. It's kind of an intangible for me. I don't totally know how to describe it, but it, the game is there. And, like, obviously, this many wins in a row, winning three titles in a row, um, uh, two 250s and a 500. Like, he's setting up really well. And But I would be, honestly, but if he wins a, a Turin or a, a Bear, Bear C, and gets a big title on the board, I would be, I think I'll really take notice. Yeah. But it's been, it's been interesting your frame, but not bad, but not great. It's been kind of, he's kind of had a par kind of year, I think. Yeah. Well, I feel like, like this year is kind of like on brand with Felix in general, like his whole career, which he's still young, but like he's been around for a long time. Like, I feel like he's just so streaky. Like when he gets hot, like he is right now, he'll just like go on a complete roll. But when he's not confident, like, he can go totally off the rails. Like, there's not much in between. Like, it's kind of all or nothing. So, like, when he – I don't think it's really that surprising that, like, once he got, like, one title under his belt finally, like, now it feels like he's off to the races. Like, once he gets confidence, like, his whole game can start working. Um, like, especially, I feel like, starting with the serve. Like, when he's serving well, like, the whole game follows. When he's not serving well and, like, double faulting a million times like he used to do, like, the whole yeah. game breaks down. And right now everything's clicking. Um, I I did pick him to win Basel before it started uh, to go three titles in three weeks. I think four in four weeks might be a little much. So I have higher hopes for him in Turin than than Paris. Yeah, but... no one's won like four in four weeks since like I think like Lendl in like the eighties at some point. It's, yeah. That's pretty hard. No one does that. Right. Yeah. How many How many did Delpo win? Uh, he, won he won four won... in a row, but it wasn't four wasn't... consecutive okay. weeks. There was because right. he won. I think he won, I want to say, Kitzbühel in Hamburg, and right. then, then he won Was- Los Angeles and Washington. Yeah. yeah. But, no, yeah, I think, you know, Felix is set up great for, I think, 2023, and he'll be, what, like, 23 years old next year. Like, that's the time when a lot of people start winning. Yeah. Unless you're Alcaraz, but. No. So. No, he's definitely not not out of it yet, and he's in this mix, and he's there. Uh, one, other per- one person who's had an interesting sort of year, tough to define, who I thought would have a much better year, I think everyone kind of did, is Daniel Medvedev, who is also already just qualified for, for Turin. He is there um, in the kind of five range of the seeds. Uh, start, you know, got to number one uh, while he was in Acapulco. Uh, there made the final of the Australian Open, lost it in heartbreaking fashion to Nadal, heartbreaking because he lost from two sets up, and also because the crowd was just rough and he just was despondent afterwards. And and then he had, I think it's worth saying, I think I, I got the sense, I haven't talked to him directly with him, but just sort of a lot of the Russians and Belarusians, I do think the war stuff affected him oh, yeah. and, and took away some of his sort of mojo or confidence, certainly, because he had, had a bad uh, March swing right when the invasion was starting, um, took some bad losses to Malfis and, and, Mev, and uh, India Wells, and, uh, and then someone else in Miami was not great, blanking on who he lost to in Miami, but it wasn't good. Um, anyway, bad loss in Miami. And then, yeah, then, then he can't play Wimbledon. Uh, they just play him max out on playing three clay court warm up, sorry, three grass court warm up tournaments before that. <laughs> yeah. It was just funny scheduling. Um, plays Los Cabos and such. And then he gets his, his title in, in Vienna, which is the biggest title of the year, actually, his first 500. Um, I had that tweet. You can see like how he's just like so much better in the second half of the season yeah. um, than he tweet. is in, in the first part. Thank you very much. Um, losing lots of followers thanks to Twitter's new owner, but <laughs> glad I'm trying to still produce some uh, some quality for someone out there somewhere. Uh, if anyone cares about my tweets, which hopefully is not much. Um, but yeah, but what what do you think about um, about Medvedev's year? And I mean, I think he still is someone who's I think can and should be in the mix. Him and Djokovic, I think, are my co favorites to win. You know, Paris and and oh, and sure. Turin. Oh yeah, definitely. I, I have high hopes for Medvedev. I mean, one one he's well rested. Like, unlike in 2019, he was winning matches left and right the whole year, and then he, like, wore out down the stretch and, like, mm-hmm. didn't even win a match in uh, London. Uh, but, yeah, I would rank him as the second favorite behind Djokovic at each of the next two tournaments, like, I mean, even ahead of Alcaraz. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, then, I mean, for sure, going into 2023, I'd put him second favorite for Australia and probably, you know, among the favorites to finish number one, which I think we're going to talk about later. Um, 
but yeah, overall subpar year by Medvedev standards, but I don't think it's like a concern long term. Obviously the one you know, the one glaring strike against him was not finishing the Australian Open final against Nadal. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. That okay. was so close. I mean that was just like yeah, that's obviously heartbreaking for him. Yeah. I mean if he converts break point at two, three in the third set, it's over. Love forty, right? Yeah. 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 Um yeah, I think he still has it. You know, one thing we haven't talked we obviously haven't done a show since then. What did you make of his uh the Nur Sultan uh uh retirement? Or Astana uh, Astana. Oh, that, I call it now. Yeah, that, that was bizarre. That I was, was watching that. Like that was, <laughs> I like. I think it's just like I think he should know better than that. Yeah. Then just like I do think that there, because some people don't remember, he was playing a match against no, Djokovic, really good match. Uh, tight. It was Medvedev won the first set. Tight second set. Uh, I think he got the six all in the tie break, and then uh, he didn't have a match point, but he was two points away from winning it. Uh, Djokovic takes the tie break. Like eight six seven five eight six something like that. Uh, he is celebrating. The crowd's going nuts, and uh, we're getting ready for a third set. <laughs> and Medvedev just like walks over and shakes his hand and said he's right. done right. and he's retiring. Yeah, Djokovic, no, nobody was more surprised than and Djokovic. Djokovic looked shocked yeah. and like um, and Medvedev yeah. said afterwards that he had um, an injury uh, that you know, honest you know some sort of acute injury. And was just quitting. And, like, I think there – and this happened, you know, in a very different setup with, like, Azarenka at Miami this year where she just walked, walked off the court. And I think she said later she was having some sort of, like, panic attack kind of thing or something. That's a little – that's different, actually. I give her – I still don't think she handled that very well, but I think I gave her more leeway for that sort of thing than for – like, Medvedev, like, you just got to, like – there has to be a really perfunctorily, like, call the trainer and be consulted oh, yeah. for 30 <laughs> seconds before yeah. you quit. Like, just the optics of that were – horrible right and i do think that sort of you know performance matters to to fans and to viewers and to just the the sport because it just looks really weird yeah obviously i'm a big medvedev supporter and fan but like that's that's that was that was not good yeah i mean medvedev he's always had a you know some (laughs) he's had a troll streak in him for sure (laughs) right yeah if this fits in that no yeah but yeah that that was a weird one and and the jokevish reaction like was like it wasn't just surprise like it was like almost like he was like he was mad. upset. It, yeah, he was like mad. Like he, well, because he was because I think I think he sort of calmed down later, and obviously later the wind sunk in, and he was happy to right. have won. But like, it was a really good match. I was like yeah. really excited to get to see these two guys who I think are the two best hardcorters, like playing on a hardcore. Like the crowds in Astana were were really good. Um, that was a new five hundred tournament. That was a, a cool tournament actually. I like that one. Obviously, Kazakhstan has been on the tennis map uh, in different ways before, but having their first real tur- big tournament there was a nice uh, nice addition. And yeah, and the dish for to end like that was was crappy. Yeah. Um, so well, I think we'll I think we'll see another Djokovic Medvedev match this year. Hopefully, I would imagine so. Yeah. Um, and then Rublev, we have not talked about also in here. Uh, Rublev, I was kind of comparing. I don't know if already in the show. I don't think so. But in my head, at least, maybe while watching Sabalenka, I feel like he and Sabalenka are on very similar paths. They're both you know kind of ball bashers who are kind of ranked a lot in the Sabalenka's gotten up higher. She's gotten up to number two or three, but. Um, but kind of hovering in the five through eight kind of range now, making like some you know slam second weeks, but not much deeper. So, so you know, emotionally sort of up and down players. Now, what do you make of, of Rublev, and, and what do you think can Rublev reach a higher level? Can Rublev like hit that next step and become like a top, like become a meaningful slam contender, yeah. or win a, win a Masters he's never done? Or yeah, I feel like in Rublev, obviously, you know, people who watch him know like he gets very frustrated yeah. and he's a very emotional guy, and like. You know, like he wants more than he's getting, but also like just seems to be kind of uh, holding himself back a little bit. Yes, like the thing is, I don't know if he believes that he can like take the next step. Like one of one of the most like lasting images for me this year, in part because like I'm a pretty big Rublev guy, um, was after he lost to Tufo in the quarters, and he was like in his chair, like. I think it was he like lost crying. the second set. Yeah, he lost the second set, right? Or uh, broke it. Well, it was mid match. Oh well, I'm I'm talking about after he lost. Oh, after the match. Okay. Yeah, he he lost and he was like pretty much in tears and like it was one of those moments where like it felt like he like knew that like the quarters of a slam is like his ceiling right now and like obviously TFO is a good player but like playing TFO in the quarters of a slam is a huge opening. It's a good draw. And Rublev. I don't know what I'm not sure what his record now is. It's like zero and five in Slam quarterfinals. Probably definitely zero. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he's yeah, he's never gotten to a semi, and like just his reaction after that match, like, kind of felt like he realized that like 
like this is right now this is my ceiling um and it was just like it was tough to watch i I think he definitely has the potential but his game is so one-dimensional like you said like he's a ball basher and like when it's not working there's no plan b so he can't like really like dig his way out of that and even even his plan a like right now it's not enough to be like the best guys in the world on a consistent basis like enough to get to the semis and finals of slam so but the thing is like he'll have openings like as much as I completely agree with everything you just said about how, you know, he has sort of a limit, like, when you get... In, and Tiafo was playing well at that tournament, don't get me wrong, and like and came very close to being Alcaraz in that semi. But when you get Tiafo in a quarter, right. like, yeah. it should be... Your, that Rublev's level should be enough. Right. But you just got the sense that Tiafo like, believed. He was sort of like, I know this guy's not going to... Yeah. Like, I can, and like, it, I can out, like, be more present than him in this match. Right. And it was similar at the French. I mean, like, Chilich in the quarterfinals of a clay court slam is, like, a massive opening to get to the semis. Yeah. And then it got to the fifth set tiebreaker, and Rublev lost it 10-2. Like, that's just total confidence issue. Like, Chilich is a Grand Slam champion. Like, he knows what he's doing there. And Rublev just got wiped off the court when it mattered most. One thing I really like is the... I'm sure you see some of this, is how popular Rublev is, like, on tennis Twitter. Oh, God. There is a oh, huge Rublev, Rublev following out there. <laughs> and just, like, I appreciate the... I appreciate the people see the appeal in Rublev. Yeah. Um, and just sort of his, like... Um, you know, his... Yeah, he's kind of a cartoon character in some ways. And, like, he... Um, he's, he's really good in those, like, ATP videos of, like, naming things. And he's funny and self-deprecating all the time. And, like, he's just... Yeah. I, I hope he's he's just a, he's got a lot there's a lot of sort of I wish there was a way to like for him to trend sounds kind of weirdly life coachy but like I hope there's a way for him to like translate that like goodwill for him in there into like some sort of self-belief like I think you I think there is a way to channel that in some way um that's some like reality judge would make like a inspirational speech on some <laughs> tv show about that but like look at all the love for you out there you gotta love yourself <laughs> like I want to say to Andre Rublev yeah hopefully for Rublev's sake Elon Musk doesn't destroy Twitter. <laughs> this is that's not looking great. Uh, not looking great right now. Oh uh, God, that's, that's actually yeah, that's rough. Um, one other player who's currently uh, eighth in the in the race as it stands, but Djokovic is going to leapfrog him uh, is Taylor Fritz. And I want to talk about him briefly to be the last person. I don't have much to say about her catch, honestly. But uh, Taylor Fritz has had an interesting year. Obviously, won Indian Wells, first Masters title of the season, and first for him in his career. His year's been so like up and down i feel like people don't even like i think he hasn't i think maybe we'll see this more from netflix honestly he's been following him i don't think he's actually does a good job or maybe it's a reporting thing or it's kind of on his side like i think people actually don't know a lot of the internet to taylor's various injuries have happened this year he was like mm-hmm. i know he was like in a walking boot before wimbledon i want to say or the french open or some, one of those two at some point in this year he was went home and was like in walking around in a boot yeah. and like has had some of the nuts played through injuries come back from it he's had history of coming back from injuries really quick yeah i mean remember that year he we got wheelchaired out of the French Open and then played and Wimbledon. Then played Wimbledon and like did decently. Yeah, like and so I don't. Tell, those are things that I sort of question. Obviously, he had the injury scare before the uh, NUL final and stuff too. Oh god, that was a weird day. Fritz has and then has had some of his highs and like the Wimbledon uh, run. He was up two sets to one on, on Nadal, right? And the yeah. Wimbledon quarterfinals and, and couldn't quite get and that Nadal done. Was less than one hundred percent. Yeah, that was that was a, was a rough wide, loss for for Fritz. So Fritz had some highs and he had some good runs. He did well in Cincinnati where he beat Curios, who'd been on a really good streak, as I recall. So it had some good highs for sure. Um, and it's getting gotten to the top ten. Won uh, Tokyo. Tokyo, yeah. Beating, beating Tiafo in the final again. Good year for Tiafo. Yeah, we mentioned him a few times. Fritz was in great shape for turn after he yeah. won Tokyo, but then and Felix won three in a row. Exactly. And <laughs> so, and then, but the thing with Fritz, and this sort of goes where it's an interesting spot, and it's a reflection on American tennis coverage, maybe, like, what we do and don't cover is tennis beat writers in the U.S. Like, Fritz has lost to, to Brandon Holt in the first round of the U.S. Open, was covered almost exclusively from a Brandon Holt perspective because he's Tracy Austin's son. And it was right. a great story, and it is a great story. But like for Fritz, that's a brutal loss at a Slam where you you want so much. And he, he admits it, but like he in the press conference was very readily admitting that. But yeah, I mean, it's it's sort of a close but not quite year. It's like it's I mean, tantalizing. I think it'll be an alternate for for Turin as it stands, unless he wins Bercy. I, I would not expect him to win Bercy. Can't rule it out, but uh, yeah, yeah. I think I do. Uh... I do year-end championship predictions before every year, and I think I had Fritz. I have to go back and check, but I think I had Fritz in there before this year started. It was a goal for him. I, yeah, it was a goal I either had him in or, or alternate. Um, so I was high on him going into this year for sure. And like when he won Indian Wells, it was looking great. I think overall, like whether he makes turn or not, like it's still a great year. And like you said, if not for a couple injuries, like 
he'd probably be there. But yeah, I'm still, I mean, I'm high on Fritz. He's got all the tools, serve, great off both wings, good on all three surfaces. I think it's just a matter of, you know, can he get, is his ceiling top eight or can he get to, you know, top three? Like, I'm not positive about that. I'll turn the question on you. Uh, over under 0.5 grand slams in the career of Taylor Harry Fritz. <laughs> Jeez. I want I want to say over. I mean, I think the percentage play is I think he'll have is, openings. He'll, he'll I think I think all those guys will. I think the percentage play is on under, so I'll go with that. But okay, how about widening it out? How about over under career slams won by the quartet of Fritz, Tiafo, Tommy Paul, and Opelka. Yeah. Jeez. All four of them combined? Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't... I definitely wouldn't take over for, like, either one of them. Like, individually. But I think, like, the smart... You're getting a group rate. The smart money on, like, one getting hot and, and... winning one is is enough that i'll take the over i think so but, too. I, but it's not confident at all i mean tiafo like tiafo was such a sensation during the us open and got like so much positive will and having him making the tokyo final backing that up he's actually been a pretty good autumn player in his career he did well at vienna a couple years ago he won korea right? and he is so popular in australia people yeah. do not understand like how popular francis tiafo is in australia there's like he is i remember because i was doing something on who was on the posters for the australian open this year and Djokovic was not on the posters um and uh, and Ferrer was on the posters, but Tiafo was on like multiple different posters. They had <laughs> Tiafo everywhere, and they love Tiafo. And he made, like, he made he one made quarter, quarters, one right? quarter once. Yeah, lost there. to Dimitrov. Uh, no, beat Dimitrov. Lost oh. to um, Nadal. Oh, okay, that's right. Yeah. yeah. But uh, but yeah, he's uh, but he's obviously a very charismatic guy, and the upside for him as a as a star is, is huge. And yeah. it's not, it's nice seeing him put it together. I remember after he lost to Alcaraz. Interestingly, he like he had a on-court interview i think even after he lost yeah he stayed right and he was like i'll be back here and i'm gonna win it one day yeah like i mean i don't think he will but i mean (laughs) you never know respect the confidence it was the right thing to say say. i think think i'm not ruling it out i would not like i mean if you don't believe you are you're not going to i i I think i think i think for me tiafo has actually similar chances to to fritz like i I think tiafo just has like so much more like kind of like x factor and belief and like i mean i think i think fritz like over the course of a year or a career is like going to be the more consistent player. No, but TFO is like, he has such a high upside, like any single tournament, like he can just go crazy. Like he did the US open. Yeah, definitely. So he's someone we'll go down. It's a good year too. Any other thoughts on, uh, one thing we're going to do also, let's do this relatively quickly. So we had a decent length show here, some predictions for 2023 season. So we'll do this kind of fairly rapid fire, but to fill pick your, make your picks who will win each of the four slams. We'll go through those in the year. Number one for 2023. Uh, let's start with, uh, Australian Open. Uh, so this comes do, down to to <laughs> my pick. Okay. Is, I'm going to pick Medvedev okay. because of just the of the 25 percent chance, roughly. I think that Djokovic can't play. Yeah, and I think he probably will be able to play. But on the on the chance he can, it's enough for me to knock Djokovic down and to want to pick. Medvedev. So that's my question. If I if Djokovic doesn't play, is my is a Djokovic bet void or no, is it a not. loss? It's a loss. It's a loss. It's a loss. Yeah. But you're just making one pick here. Right. Uh, I'm saying Medvedev. Okay, yeah. Similar logic? Same logic, yeah. Even if Djokovic plays, Medvedev has a decent chance. Yeah. And and Djokovic might not play. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, French Open. Also, Djokovic, like, he could have a tough draw. He's going to be seated, what, eighth? Yeah, it depends on how he does his last couple tournaments. Yeah, true, yeah. But, like... He could conceivably have to play like Alcaraz in the quarters, Nadal in the semis, Medvedev or Nadal in the final. quarters, yeah, or, right, or, or Medvedev in the quarters, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, um, French Open. I'll give him one more. Okay, Rafa Nadal to get to fifteen. Yeah. Okay, I will pick something different that just be interesting. I will pick Alcaraz. Right. I think Alcaraz pick. is a good clay player. Yep. Why not? Disappointing French Open this year, actually. After how good he was to that loss to Zverev was not great. Zverev played well, but that was not a good loss for Falkras. Uh Wimbledon. Until he loses, I can't bet against him. Novak, Djokovic. Yeah, I'd pick Djokovic here too. That's the easy one. And then, not, but like, if I was going to pick a dark horse, I'd pick a Berrettini. I think Berrettini might get a Wimbledon title. Should kind of get a Wimbledon title. Although he's been 
had a very sort of off. I haven't followed it closely that much, honestly, but it kind of off kilter fall. So hopefully he can get back on track yeah. by I mean, next I think, year. I don't, I don't think physically he's ever like been quite hundred percent again. No. Yeah. I think he'll be back. He's going to be a Netflix star next season too. So yes, that's going to be interesting. That's going to be interesting yeah. to see how that changes things and yeah. how, how much traction that, that's going to be a big 2023 story. It's a Netflix yeah. show coming out. Oh, it's going to be great. I hope so. I hope so. And people are going to love Isla Tomjanovich. And she's a big part of it. <laughs> the uh, US Open. Last one. Can't go the whole year without giving him at least one slam. Repeat performance by Carlos Alcaraz. Okay, you're picking Alcaraz. I, hmm, you know, what, I'm gonna pick. I'm gonna pick Medvedev. I'm gonna give Medvedev both hardcore slams. Wow. And I'm gonna give him and to follow him. I'm gonna give him number one okay. ranking. I think. I think you know. I think it's a good time to buy Medvedev stock. I think it's a time to buy low for Medvedev. No, I think so too. Yeah. yeah. How about uh, you? Who's uh, your number one? Yeah. Medvedev is definitely up there for me. But I'm going to stick with Alcaraz. I think he's only getting better. Back to back. And, like, I think, like, after this fall, like, people are going to be, like, sort of off the bandwagon just because he's, I think he's not going to do that great in Paris or, uh, or Turin. But then, like, he'll be arrested going into 2023. He's going to be 20 years old. Like, no. yeah, he's, he's off to the races. That all makes sense. Yeah, he's still like so much room to improve. So that's the thing when you watch him; like he's amazing and so physically good, but also like can clean up his game significantly and like become way more efficient. Yeah, and yeah, the room to, to grow is, is scary. But again, like Djokovic, the Djokovic factor is a, is going to be like such a big story again. Like if, true. If, well, Djokovic is turning thirty six next year. I mean, he's going to keep getting older. Like eventually, yeah. Djokovic will start to slow down at some point. But I think if like, like all things being equal, year, like if if he gets to play everything i wouldn't be surprised if he finishes number one but like, oh, I, I think it's just too big it's too big of a question mark right now yeah who knows if he's gonna actually play like a full schedule though because he did once he hit um number one he kind of stopped playing like full time once he once he broke that record of all-time weeks he yeah. started scaling back the schedule yeah. pretty instantly at that moment even before the vaccination start stuff started becoming the issue um so i think he just wanted to pass federer um yeah anyway ricky yeah. diamond thank you for being on here where can people see your stuff uh well twitter diamondator as long as twitter is still in existence <laughs> um and then my website 10 grand.com and occasionally tennisballs.com tennismajors.com so very various places but uh yeah thanks a lot for having me thanks for the hospitality during marathon week hopefully. glad you got to meet betty oh uh, yeah your dog your dog is amazing huge, huge bonus and uh hope, hopefully we'll do it again in 2023 that sounds good thank you very much thanks Bye, La 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 la